Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder law and estate planning attorney Kevin Tharp and financial advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. Why you don't need a revocable trust. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, I'm going to talk about a, a comment or a question that I always hear on a regular basis. When I meet with a listener, calls up and says, hey, I want to have a meeting. I want to talk with Kevin about a trust. I want to find out the difference between a will and a trust or I want to talk about, he talks a lot about trust on the radio, so I'm going to talk with Kevin about it. And the client or and their spouse, and, and maybe sometimes even their family comes in and we talk about it. And I give them all, uh, here's what a trust does, here's what it doesn't do, et cetera. And a couple of weeks later, they'll call back and they'll either cancel their appointment or they'll say, well, I'm not sure I want to come back in. Uh, my financial advisor told me I don't need a trust. I got beneficiaries on everything. My banker told me I don't need a trust. I own it joint with my spouse. And if we want to make sure our kids have access to it, just put their name on the account. You don't need a trust. And maybe they give them some reason following it, like it complicates things. Your kids are going to have to pay more in taxes. But usually the biggest reason is they tell them, well, they don't need it. You don't need a trust. You got your kids as beneficiaries. They're going to get it anyway. You own it joint with your spouse. They're going to get it anyway. And so they kind of pose that question to me. So why do I need a trust? And we're going to talk about some specific reasons of why you need a trust. But let's talk about first. Okay, so here's why you don't need a trust. You don't need a trust if you're okay with your family affairs and your assets, specific information about your family and about your assets being public information. You don't need a trust. If you're okay with everything about your family and your affairs being public record when you die, public record in this case being at the probate court, then don't do a trust. Because I can tell you one thing about probate is it's a public record. I was in the probate court the other day on a guardianship for a uh, young man who has been incapacitated, has Down syndrome his whole life, and his parents had to become his or becoming his legal guardians now that he's 18. And uh, on the um, front window where the clerk sits is a sign that says we charge two dollars a page for copying probate records. Probate records are open to public inspection, and we charge $2. And give the Georgia law that cites that. So it's not Kevin Tharp's opinion. It's not just some rumor I'm spreading against probate. It is a public matter. And there are people who go up to the probate court on a regular basis and pull that information. Maybe it's for purposes of trying to get you to hire them to sell their your real estate, hmm. your home. Marketing. Marketing, Yeah. But probate is a public record. So you don't need a trust if that's no big deal to you. It's no big deal to you if if you don't need a trust. If it really is not important for your spouse or your children or your family to have immediate access, to have to wait 30 days or more in order to get access to your assets. 
If that's not a big deal to you, if you don't care that they have to go through that, then don't do a trust because they're going to go through probate. I'll give you another reason why you don't need a trust. You don't need a trust if it doesn't really matter to you whether your beneficiaries, people you leave things to, are protected. You know, when somebody tells me, well, I don't need a trust, my financial guy says that my kids are the beneficiary on my retirement account, or my spouse first, and my kids second, or on my, on my life insurance guy says, I don't need a trust, I've got my spouse and kids, or grandkids, or whoever named as beneficiary, so they're going to get it anyway, and they'll get it outside of probate, so I don't need a trust. I'll go, okay, well, then it doesn't really matter to you that if all of your kids survive you, but one of them's in the middle of a divorce, that they're not protected. That doesn't matter to you. And they stop and go, well, yeah, that matters to me. What's the difference? Well, I'll tell you the difference. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors, and I'm with my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney, and we're talking about today... The reason you do or the reason you don't need a trust. And Kevin, the alternatives, the things you can do potentially in place of a trust, but there could be a very, very negative outcome. Yes, there are things that can happen if you don't need a trust. And so if these things that could potentially happen are not really a big deal to you, like your affairs being public record by going through probate, people being able to challenge your wishes, things having a different outcome than what you laid out in your document, then okay, go through probate. Don't do a trust. If you're okay with the potential that your beneficiaries may not be protected, and Gary, this is where my personal experience comes into play. For many, many years, even though this is what I did for a living, my dad didn't see the need, my parents didn't see the need for doing a trust. My oldest brother joined with them. My dad and oldest brother shared the same financial advisor, shared the same CPA for years, and they all said the same thing. But when my mom got sick, and was diagnosed with Parkinson's and things started going downhill. And dad realized that if he died first, his biggest asset or assets was his retirement account and his life insurance policy. Guess who the beneficiaries of those were? My mother. And when dad learned, after I shared with him, dad, if you keep mom as the beneficiary on those two assets and you die first and she's in the middle of her Parkinson's or worse, she's in a nursing home, Every dime you're going to leave her is not protected. It's that simple. Well, I don't want that. I want to make sure your mother's protected. How do I make sure of that? Leave it to her through a trust. Change the beneficiary on that. Change the title on your IRA and your life insurance by changing the beneficiary from mom to a trust. Dad, I know and I'm pretty confident that all three of us, uh, if we survive you and mom, we're going to be okay. We're all in good and solid marriages. We're all uh, successful in our careers. We honestly don't need the inheritance you're going to leave us, but we certainly appreciate anything you do leave us because that was important to mom and dad. They wanted to leave us something. 
As the grandkids came along, they realized, hey, we can just skip Kevin and go right to Callie, right? And then the great-grandkids came along. Well, everybody got ignored at that point. (laughs) But whatever their wish is, it was important that their beneficiaries be protected because you really don't know what could happen in your child's life. You hope they survive you, but what happens if they don't? You hope that they're in good marriage at the time of your death, but what happens if they don't? And one of my siblings was legally separated from his wife when my dad died. But because he left that inheritance to all of us through a trust, my sibling was able to keep it in trust and his divorcing spouse didn't get their hands on it. That would not have happened if my dad had kept us as beneficiaries on his IRA and on his life insurance. So you want your beneficiaries to be protected? Leave them things through a trust. If you don't care that they're protected or not, then don't do a trust. Don't Don't do anything. Don't do anything or just name them as beneficiary and go on your way. But if that's why we recommend our experience, our professional experience, Being survived by a child who's in the middle of a divorce was not the first time that this happened in my professional career. It's the first time that's happened in my personal life. Mm -hmm. But I know from both of those experiences that a trust, leaving an inheritance through the trust, makes a difference when it comes to protecting your beneficiaries. Kevin, how do people get in touch with you to talk about the right way to plan? Gary, my website is kevintharp.com. Social Security and kicking the can. That's coming up next on Truth and Planning. What is Social Security going to look like to you in the year 2034? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. There's a lot of people out there saying right now, well, I'm 25 years old, Social Security's not going to look like anything to me in 2034. But you're also in the same breath saying, I don't expect to ever get any Social Security because I don't think anything's going to be left by the time I get to retirement age at that age. And Kevin, there a lot of people believe that. And there's a good reason to believe it because you're constantly being reminded that the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be insolvent by the year 2034 well the best i can figure being a financial guy and all that's 10 years from now all of a sudden now we're talking about something really soon (laughs) and a lot of people who are on social security now maybe you just started getting it maybe you wait even waited till you're 70 years old to start getting your social security but now gary you're telling me in 10 years i'm not going to get it or i'm going to get less because that's basically what's going to happen Another thing that goes hand-in-hand with Social Security always is Medicare. Well, Medicare is also in trouble. And a lot of times, we we talk about this a good bit on the show, and a lot of times I tell people, I have faith and confidence in our political leaders that they are going to fix this thing. I still have faith in that because when it comes right down to it, people feel like they need to change things. They will. But sometimes that gets to be impossible. Back to something I mentioned last week. We plan for the worst. We plan for the fact that Social Security is going to start being reduced in 2034. Your Medicare is going to start being reduced in 2034. 
by 11%, your Medicare benefits, your Social Security will be reduced by 20% if everything stays the same. So can you imagine a 20% pay cut in your Social Security? How would that impact you right now? Think about it. If you're getting Social Security right now and you plan on still being here in 2034, which a lot of people out there will be, how is a 20% pay decrease going to affect you, that pay cut? Because think about this. Whatever you're getting right now, you're going to be getting a, a good chunk more 10 years from now because of the cost of living adjustments that we get. And we've seen some pretty healthy cost of living adjustments over the years. And it does help immensely when it comes to keeping up with things like inflation and things like the, the cost of things, taxes, everything else cost you more. It's nice to have those things. It's nice to have those increases. Well, so Social Security giveth. And now Social Security might be taking, taking it away. <laughs> so that's what's going to happen if things stay the same. And from a political perspective, we know that some parties are more in favor of increasing Social Security taxes, increasing Medicare uh, uh, contributions, things like that. We know one party is more in favor of that than others. But I can tell you one thing. I don't care which side of the political fence you're on right now. If, some, if the nothing is done, which there's actually a group of uh, politicians in Washington, a group of our representatives, who have sworn that they won't touch Social Security and they won't touch Medicare. They won't touch it. They won't have anything to do with it. To me, talking about kicking the can, that's kicking the can. And I don't care which party you're, 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 you're back in an election. I don't care which party you're a part of. That's not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work, because that 20% decrease in your Social Security pay that you're getting every month will be automatically reduced in 2034 by 20%. Wow. It will be automatic. That's law. It will be. So if we've sworn to do nothing as a politician out there, doesn't matter which side of the, the aisle you're on, if we've sworn to do that, and, and you have a, a, let's say, a congressman or a senator, someone who has said they're not, they're not going to touch these things. They've just gone ahead and put a nail in the coffin. You're going to get a Social Security decrease if they do nothing. So nothing is not an answer. And unfortunately, that's the mentality that we see really in both parties. It doesn't really matter. I don't care how many parties. If we have two parties, if we have three or four, that's going to be the mentality most likely. Don't touch that thing. That's a political football. Well, it's going to be a real political football in 10 years if somebody doesn't do something about it now. So I have confidence that it's going to get fixed, but I have to plan that it won't. And that's why we put together financial plans for people. That's why we have financial retirement plans, because we may be replacing some of the Social Security you're going to lose in 10 years with some of the other assets you have, whether that be your 401k, your IRA, your savings, your brokerage account. We may need to increase income just to offset the reduction in Social Security, if nothing else, to be able to do that. You're listening to Truth and Planning. I'm with my co-host, Gary Anderson, financial advisor of Anderson Advisors. And Gary, we're going to get back to talking about Medicare and how it's going to affect you in your retirement. 
But in case you've missed a portion of this show or would like to hear any other previous shows, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Truth and Planning on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast, and you can listen to this show or any of our previous shows. Going back to Medicare and these cuts and these automatic cuts, one of the things that I found, and this is historically, it's not just in the last five years, 10 years, even 20 years, Congress will always put in things, whether it's tax increases, and then they put in something that reduces taxes or cuts taxes, but they'll always put in a sunset provision or they'll always put in an automatic renewal. Kind of like when you order those things off something off of the Internet and <laughs> yeah. you don't realize it's an automatic renewal. So 30 years from now, you're still getting them, you know, CDB capsules or whatever. 30 <laughs> years from now, uh, you forgot you got that automatic renewal thing. You might need those 10 years from now. Social Security right. does what it's doing. That's right. But Kevin, that is that's a good point. When it comes to a plan, well, we talk about planning all the time. Probably sometimes people get a little bit tired of hearing why you want to put together a good plan. The financial retirement plan that you put together or that we help you or another advisor helps you put together needs to address the decrease in Social Security benefits, decrease in Medicare benefits, because your deductibles will go higher in 2031, actually. So that's that even comes before the Medicare, before the Social Security cuts. Be aware of it. Plan for the worst. Hope for the best. Hope for really competent political figures in Washington, our representatives in Washington. They will fix this thing before that time comes. But in the meantime, you have to be thinking about how you're going to replace that income. Because right now, if you're getting, and a lot of people are, 4000 Some people are getting $5,000 a month in just their Social Security alone. You can expect, if you're getting, let's say, $5,000 a month at the time because you've gotten your cost of living adjustments all these years, and now you're getting $5,000 a month and it's 2034, you're going to get 4000 in the next paycheck because now Social Security, these, these laws have cut in and Social Security is being reduced. 20% for both you and your spouse is just pure Social Security income alone, which is the base of most people's retirement plans. That's going to be a big shock. That could put a lot of people in a situation where they never thought they would be, potentially losing a home, losing a lot of the things that you love to do. That's a big deal. So my really one of my comments to people right now is make sure that you let your representatives know that you know what's going on here. You know what's going to happen in 2034 and in 2031 that's going to really have a big impact on you. If you're not retired yet, it's still going to have a big impact on you. And so let your let your representatives know that you understand this. I don't think, Kevin, a lot of times they even understand what's going on. And so we need to be prepared for it. Plan for the worst. And, Gary, your clients can plan for the worst by calling? Call us at 888-371-2847, Anderson Advisors. In the next segment, we're going to talk about why you don't need to worry about losing your home if you go into a nursing home.
why you don't need to worry about losing your home if you go into a nursing home. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary is an elder law attorney. I can tell you over all of my years of experience, when people first kind of learn what is an elder law attorney, when I tell them I help my clients protect and prepare for needing long-term care, including going into a nursing home, that's the first question that they ask me. Will I lose my home if I go into a nursing home? I heard that you've got to sell your home and you'll and spend all the money if you go into a nursing home. I heard they can put a lien on they, meaning they may think it's the nursing home. They may be the government. Uh, I heard they can put a lien on your home. And they've talked about other assets, too. I heard you got to cash in your you got any money in the bank. You've got to spend it all. Okay. And yes, that is an option. But that is not the only option. You will not lose your home if you go into a nursing home involuntarily. You will not be forced to sell your home. Gary, there are some instances where it makes sense to sell the home when a person's in a nursing home. But you will never be forced to sell your home in order to get help to pay for your nursing home. Help in this case, meaning Medicaid. Now, a lot of people get Medicare that you talked about earlier Mm -hmm. in the previous segment because Medicare does have a component that pays for temporarily up to 100 days, 20 to 100 days, will pay for a nursing home stay. It's called Medicare Part B. To get that benefit, before you go to the nursing home, you got to be in the hospital for at least three days. But eventually, if you have to stay in a nursing home beyond the 20 days or beyond the 100 days and your Medicare supplement doesn't pay, uh, won't pay after that, then you're either going to pay out of pocket called private pay or you're going to apply for Medicaid. So many of my clients, when they or their loved ones are at that point in time, and that would include my mother, that would include my father, that would include my grandfather, When they got to the point in time where their Medicare stopped paying, that's the question that came up. We can't afford to pay the private pay rate. My mother's private pay rate was $10,000 a month. My dad's private pay rate was $10,500 a month, and they were about three years difference, and they were in the same area. It's not like one was in Buckhead and the other was on, you know, in Atlanta, because those costs could be even higher in areas like that. They couldn't afford to pay that out of pocket. That take all their income and they're still short. So Medicaid comes up. Maybe it's brought up by the nursing home. Maybe it's brought up uh, because you went to a free lunch seminar and heard an elder law attorney speak on the subject. Or maybe you heard me talk about it on the radio. And here's often what I hear in connection to when the subject of nursing home and Medicaid comes up. Well, I heard you got to sell your home if you don't do something with it before you go into a nursing home. And Gary, that is absolutely incorrect. There are two factors that determine Medicaid eligibility. And those factors, in every case, In every situation, when you go to apply for Medicaid benefits, 
when somebody applies for Medicaid benefits on your behalf. If you go, if you're a veteran or the widow of a veteran, you go to apply for these benefits, you're going to be asked these two questions in every circumstance. What type of assets do you own? You got to tell them what assets you own, but they're interested specifically in what type of assets do you own? Why? Because there's eligibility limits. And certain types of assets do not count towards that eligibility limit. And number one type of asset, the most common type of asset that people own is a home. And it is exempt from Medicaid eligibility. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. In case you missed a portion of this show or would like to hear it again, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Truth in Planning on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to this or any of our other previous programs. I'm talking with Kevin Tharp, my co-host of State Planning and Elder Law Attorney today, and Kevin is talking about things that or incorrect, incorrect assumptions, Kevin, when it comes to nursing home care. And I just talked to somebody two days ago who had incorrect assumptions. They hadn't talked to you yet. They're going to be talking to you about this, but they totally have missed what actually happens or what you can expect when it comes to nursing home care and how to pay for it. And a lot of times, Gary, that information, it might be intentional. It might be unintentional. But a lot of times that information comes from uh, a, a source that, quite frankly, that incorrect information benefits them. Mm-hmm. If you are in a nursing home and you can steer a person away from Medicaid, which pays for everybody's care, no difference in the level of care for people who are paying out of pocket. So if there's no difference in the care your loved one is receiving, What's the difference then of them paying the Medicaid rate, which is usually half the private pay rate, or paying the nursing home the private pay rate? Who benefits from that? The nursing home. They'd rather get paid $10,000 a month rather than getting paid five or 6000 a month for Medicaid. They're giving the same care to every patient. So sometimes that incorrect information is really to steer you to a different path where you don't qualify for Medicaid. Hmm. Okay. People cash in their IRAs because they're told they have to and use that money to pay for their loved one's care, single or married, and once you cash in an IRA, it's too late. Then you don't qualify for Medicaid. You have no choice but to spend that money on private pay. Some people literally remove their loved one from the nursing home because they say, well, I can't afford to pay $10,000 a month. So they take them home to a less safe environment. Well, that still benefits the nursing home because now they've got somebody else that they can put in that bed. And that is a business. The nursing home is a business. It's a business. They provide care to people who are in a situation that our loved ones are in. But here's what the law says, always has said it. This is why they ask what type of assets you own, because your home is the type of asset that is protected, single or married, if you go into a nursing home. Now, here's the second question, Gary, they ask. And this trips a lot of people up because they don't realize the first thing 
Have you given up ownership of any asset in the last five years? Soon to become 10 years, in my opinion. Well, we were told by an elder law attorney that we had to put our home in an irrevocable trust. Not a revocable trust, but an irrevocable trust. Well, you know what happens when you put things in an irrevocable trust? You give up ownership. And when you give up ownership, Medicaid's going to say, well, when did you do that? Oh, we did that last year. We did that three years ago. Medicaid's going to say, sorry, not eligible. There's a look-back penalty. And that penalty is you're ineligible or your loved one's ineligible for a number of months. And here's the worst thing about it, Gary. They didn't have to do that. If they had just focused... If their attention had been drawn to the type of asset they own, they would know that they don't have to give up ownership of their home. Kevin, this is a revelation to a lot of people. I'm sure they want to talk to you more about it. How do they have your information? The best way is through my website, kevintharp.com. Coming up next on Truth and Planning, planning in plain English. Planning does not have to be complicated. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And Kevin, I use that term loosely because sometimes planning is complicated to some people. That's why they have somebody else plan for them. It's kind of like with your financial situation, with your retirement planning. There's a good reason for advisors. There's a good reason for us planners who put these things together for you because this is what we do. And we can look at things more objectively to know that, okay, yes, this is a good plan. This will stand the test of time. It will be there when 20, 30 years from now and when, during your retirement years, it will be there because we put things to the test. A lot of times as an individual, we don't have the ability to do that. We don't have the tools to do it. There are some pretty good online tools out there, but even then, a lot of times it becomes too subjective when you're trying to do it yourself. So this is why we plan. Now, a financial plan, especially a retirement plan, financial plan, does not have to be a complicated thing. As a matter of fact, the more complicated it is, the less likely you are to follow that plan. You give me a road map with every single shortcut in it and the dirt roads and everything else, which I've experienced before, um, that gets too complicated. Then you're having to stop every few miles to make sure you're on track, and sometimes you find out you aren't, and then you have to alter things anyway. Financial plans can be the same way. If they're too complicated, and by complicated I mean how many pages is that plan? If you do have a retirement financial plan that maybe an advisor put together for you, is it 75 pages? Because I've seen this before, 75 pages of a financial plan. Now, how many times has anybody sat down there and read that thing from cover to cover and then followed it? Not very, not very often. What we want is a simple plan. We want to put together a simple plan for you. This is what we do for our clients. It should have several different elements, but it doesn't need to get crazy. The number one thing is paychecks. We talked about Social Security earlier. The fact that Social Security, uh, there's a good chance, unless things get changed quickly, 
we may get pay decreases in Social Security starting in 2034, and we may get um, pay decreases in Medicare in 2031. Our benefits will be reduced by 11% in 2031. Social Security will be decreased by by 20% in 2034. So these are very real things. These are laws that are in place that if somebody hasn't fixed this by then, namely our people in Washington, then those things are going to take effect. Well, we've got to have a social, we have to have a financial plan for your retirement that addresses that pay cut. Worst case scenario, if it happens, if it doesn't happen, even better. We plan for the worst and we hope for the best. So if we've got something that gives us a paycheck, a schedule of paychecks to say when that's going to begin, when we will tap into that first, and so we'll know that, okay, if Social Security is a 20% decrease, then I have a plan put in place to create that 20% worth of income at the time, which incidentally, 10 years from now, that increase, that pay that you get, the pay, the Social Security payment that you get then is going to be worth a considerably a lot more than it is now. So that's going to have even a bigger impact than you can even imagine at this point in time. So let's have something in place that addresses that. So that paycheck that you're going to get now will come more from your investments, which we plan for. And we want to make sure they last for as long as you live, just like Social Security will, even your, and either you and or your spouse. So let's have that as a part of our plan. Secondly, we need to have an order of when we're going to tap into certain sources of income. Because you could have a lot of different savings accounts out there. You could have your IRA, which could have been your 401k at one time. You could have a Roth, which hopefully maybe you've converted things into a Roth over the years to give you a balance there. You could have your brokerage account. You could have bank accounts, CDs, things like that, that can create this income. And so we want to make sure we're putting an order to this. One of the reasons being is because if we have it in the right order, it's going to save you in taxes over time. So we know these sources, which ones to flip the switch on, which ones to turn on when that time comes. And so that is a part of the plan. But that's simple. It doesn't need to be 75 pages worth. So we'll get into a couple more things that a plan should include in a minute. You're listening to Truth and Planning, and I'm with my co-host, Gary Anderson, financial advisor. And we've been talking about uh, retirement planning in plain English. And before we get back to that, uh, I want to mention to our listeners that in case you have missed a portion of this show or would like to hear any previous shows again, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Truth and Planning on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to this or any other show that we've done in the past. Going back to the subject of uh, plain English, I have people all the time that when they get all of their estate planning documents, their trust and powers of attorney and everything, we put it together for them in a notebook, and I kind of go over uh, the documents with them and then give them the opportunity to take them home and read them over in detail. And they'll go, I don't understand all this. It's all legalese. And I say, well, it's plain English to me. (laughs) But it sometimes has to be a little bit more detailed, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be 72 pages long. Right. I think the key thing is to get it to where you understand it 
And that's one of the things that you're talking about. That's exactly right, Kevin. Make it where you can understand it. That roadmap, if you have a, let's say, a real roadmap, not GPS, because GPS is kind of going to tell you where to go, whether it's right or wrong. You're going to get these instructions uh, over your in your sound system. But you're going to have that going on. But then on this, at the same time, you it has to be, even a roadmap has to be something simple that you can follow or you're going to get lost. Well, this financial plan, it's very easy for you to get lost with a retirement financial plan when it's too complicated and there's no reason absolutely that it should be complicated. Another thing that we need to look at as far as a, as a, a financial retirement plan goes is that it can't be static. You can't just put it in motion and know that nothing will ever change. Let's say we've got this income plan for 10 years from now, 20 years from now. We have the sources plan. Things can change for people, Kevin. We see it all the time with families. Somebody dies sooner than they expected to die. Uh, So there's a sickness. There's long-term care. There's all these things that go on. So it can't be static. We certainly can put things in place that will address these issues when they do happen, but knowing that Oh, maybe a detour, let's take this other route. We already have that route in the plan. It's already on the map. Detour there, the bridge is out, we're going to go around it. We're going to take this road that crosses a bridge somewhere else. So this is something that when you start looking at an overall plan, it can be simple, but it can have variations according to what happens to you in your retirement years. It needs to be something that's flexible over time. Uh, we want to make sure that it's it's not something we have to change three weeks from now, but it's certainly something that needs to be flexible for things that can happen three years or five years or ten years from now because that's just life. That's reality. That's what happens to people. Let's be ready for it. That plan should be in place. And then uh, another part of your plan is having something that shows you mathematically how these things work how this income that I may have to start taking 15 years from now or 20 years from now, how does that work? Show me what assets are going to be there then, how much they're going to be worth, and how much income they're going to create when that time comes. And what we want to do is make sure all of that is in a plan, but it's really just those four, three or four things, Kevin. We want to address that, then you can follow the plan, and it's an easy thing to do. Just like having a complete state plan involves three simple steps, having a financial plan involves some simple steps in plain English. How can our listeners take that first step? Kevin, the first step is a conversation. We can have it by phone. We can have it in person, whatever you want to do. Get some ideas then. We both need ideas. When I'm talking to a client, I want to find out where they are with things. They need to know me. We make sure that we're a fit. You can call us at at, uh, Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should 
consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson or Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show. Thank you.